You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Brian McCubbin. How you doing, guys? Hey, David Hall. School's not out for summer anymore. <laughs> and special guests, Scott Bolster and Brian Peely. Welcome. Hi, guys. All right. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, David, you set up this great uh, arrangement uh, with these two gentlemen, so I'm going to let you jump in from here. All right. Uh, how you guys doing, Brian and Scott? Good. Thanks for having us. All right. So a little background that I can I can kind of set up how this arrangement came to be. Scott Rupp is actually the guy with Midwest Simula- Simulations. He uh, is the guy who makes our little uh, he- headlights or LED lights that we put in our VRs that spot for us. And he's in this league, and he contacted me about just talking about this league. And it's like, well, how, how about we uh, arrange a sponsorship deal, too? And that's basically what we came to. So... Um, Scott, do you want me to read out the announcement, or would you like to? No, I'd, I'd, I'd love the opportunity. Go for it. All right, it is with great pleasure that we are able to announce a new partnership with iRacers Lounge. Uh, we are excited to be able to do our part in bringing much deserved attention to this wonderful podcast, which endeavors to bring you insightful and informative stories and in-depth coverage of everything going on with the iRacing service. For the remainder of the 2020 Throwback IndyCar Series and the 2020 season, uh, the fastest qualifier will be awarded the iRacers Lounge Poll Award during our broadcast. Um, this newest award gives us even more capability to highlight our amazing drivers who make uh, our series the incredible show that it is. Um, our our next uh, race and broadcast is going to be on the Global Sim Racing Channel on August 13th. And when we take the uh, the IRO5 IndyCars, we head out west to the uh, 2008 uh, version of the Phoenix International Raceway for round 14. Um, out of 20 for the uh, 9.4 Motorsports uh, Throwback IndyCar Series. And now uh, we're, we're pretty excited to see who's going to snag this first one. And uh, Brian, you're here as well. Um, you guys are with 9.4 Motorsports, which is the title sponsor of the, of the series. And what can you tell us about 9.4 Motorsports? Well, 9.4 Motorsports is um, a motorsports preparation and maintenance business. Uh, we do everything from building race cars from scratch to maintaining race cars that are owned by customers. Uh, we also offer ride and drive programs where, um, in a basic sense, a driver shows up with their gear and can race with us. Uh, so we try to do do a multitude of things that can reach a wide range or a variety of, of people who are in motorsports and try to meet their needs. And um, we partnered with um, with Scott in the Throwback IndyCar series last year. So this will be our second year uh, with the series. We've really enjoyed being part of it, really enjoyed the exposure. And one of the things that we've, as a uh, motorsports business, uh, like an in-person real motorsports, we've always desire to connect with uh, the sim world and it's very I found it's very difficult to do that it's very difficult to bridge that gap between going from um, being a sim racer to getting on track or even from being on track to getting into sim racing it goes both ways and um, 
and partnering with the Throwback IndyCar Series is is our attempt to try to start bridging that gap and see what works to to get people involved on both sides. And I'm sure you can speak to the exposure that sim racing can bring to a uh, a real life business. It can. It's um, you know, at first glance, you might think it's really not gonna gonna work. There's not gonna be a lot of exposure. That's not really worth the time, the money, the effort. But in reality, it is. It's um, the customers who are in motorsports are a lot of the same customers who are in the virtual and the sim world. Um, so there is a lot of back and forth. And, and with this unfortunate COVID-19 from this year, um, the sim world has really exploded. And it's um, really given us some some exposure we weren't expecting. It's We won't turn it away, that's for sure. But um, it's really exploded here early this year. So Scott, you mentioned we you run a classic IndyCar series. So this is is this one in the legacy IndyCar? Yes, it is the the old IR05. All right, and you run late on Thursday nights, correct? Yeah, we we do. We run late right on Thursday nights. Um, the qualifying begins at. It depends if it's an oval race or a road race. Um, the the qualifying and the coverage begins at a, either ten uh, forty or uh 10 and then that runs right up to gridding which is which is right at 10 and then Ooh. and you alternate with a uh, yeah it's a late late night race which would be that handy might for me for me actually i'm what? on the west coast so yeah and another thing that might interest you mike ellis is uh, scott tell him about the other league that you run on alternate weeks because i know this is a particular car that mike enjoys yeah absolutely um we we did jump on the uh, the 1987s um the the old legacy nascar cup cars we jumped on that as soon as it came out we we had always planned um to try and expand um our classic um racing mantra that that's what we want to focus on as a league as we expand and, and get larger um the, the Indy car took off really, really well. And as soon as we got that established with a, with an awesome core group of drivers, we were able to jump over and we were going to start an ARCA type of series. And we ran about two or three races and then iRacing dropped the 1987 bomb. And as soon as that, that came out, we got with our drivers and we made the swap over to that. And it's a learning curve, but we're having a whole heck of a lot of fun with that. And that runs on alternating nights. And it runs a little bit earlier because NASCAR tends to usually be a little more East Coast uh, centric. And uh, and IndyCar is kind of like uh, Midwest and a little further out West centric. So that's why the, the we started two different times for the two different series. Pretty cool. Yeah, we uh, Mike doesn't have to edit anymore. So as soon as we finish recording, he gets to roll out. So he might be able to have time to make that 87 series. Uh, yep. where, whereas I might have a chance to make the the uh, other league uh, if I decide to run it uh, because I do the editing. Um, it is pretty late though, and it'll depend on whether I have to work junior high football games this year or not, and whether or not we're working football games changes every other day. So I, I won't be able to tell you what what my work schedule is going to be like this year. Um, so speaking of scheduling, with with a league like this, let's say my plate is full as far as setup building goes. Uh, Scott, can you tell us about the how how the setup works for these leagues? Yeah, absolutely. Um... One of the things that, that I like, I like open setups for the official series. Um, and I understand where people come from as, as far as time constraints, things like that for, for the fixed side. But what we also wanted to, to focus on was we wanted to give people the, the capability to, it's, you know, it's at night, 
you know, you put the kids to sleep, you know, you get just your day wound down and just hop on and go have uh, a fun experience in the league. But what we do with our fixed setups um, is that we build our own setups and the, the main focus on what we, what I've always envisioned was, was, and this is how we run it in the, in the real world. Um, you want the car to be as comfortable as possible. And so that's what we do. We take a very conventional, straightforward way of setting up a race car. And that gives, that gives drivers a, a comfortable, fun car that they can really be aggressive with and get racy and not have to worry about the car killing them every single lap after lap after lap. And then what we do, because if everybody has a perfect car, it's, it's kind of difficult for passing and different things like that. But what we do is we said, just like in the real world, we make the weather the variable that affects the driver. The driver has to overcome the weather, not overcome the setup. So we'll have a really nice setup, but you know what? It may push out a four because you may have a 15 knot wind coming straight at you or, you know, different other variables like that. So that's what we do with our, with our setups. And we've had some, if you, if anybody hasn't, if you want to see what this league's about, you can go and watch our last race at, at Michigan and uh, it's classic, you know, old time NASCAR IndyCar IRO five, that era um, IndyCar racing in Michigan. And it was, as your seat stuff, it was it was great. It reminds me of when we had our had one of our charity races at Daytona, and we had was it Bobby or Hammer made a setup for us that was designed. It was a fixed setup, but it was designed to make it a little bit harder to stay nose to nose, and it, it led to some really good drafting compared to the package that was happening in the official races a couple of years ago. All right, so we've learned a little bit about the leagues and about, and about the companies. Let's learn a little bit about the drivers. So I'll just kind of, I'm going to go through some of our standard questions and just kind of hit each each person up uh, one after. So Scott, um, let's. Uh, how did you hear about iRacing? Um, com- completely honest, I don't even remember. Um, I I stumbled on it through. Um, to surfing on the internet. And if I had to take a guess, I was probably trying to find some old, um, NK 2003 or NASCAR racing 2003 stuff. And I came across iRacing and it just, I checked it out and that's, that's pretty much where I've come and stayed. And, uh, Brian, how about you? Um, I believe I, I saw my brother playing it. Uh, he was, it must've been around 2010. Uh, he was there at his desk and it was brand new to me, and I was just kind of taken back by it. Um, I didn't have the chance to get into it right away, but I did eventually. He took off and did more and more and kind of got me hooked on it a couple of years ago. And, and I'm just really dipping my feet in um, as I have time, and, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. Cool. What, uh, Brian, what hardware are you running with right now? I am running a Logitech, I think a D920 wheel pedals. And then I just recently updated to... Uh, a gaming computer honestly don't know what it is i've kind of been piecing stuff together um and but that computer made a huge difference i was using my desktop computer with a small screen and i thought i was doing great and i got that gaming computer and i didn't realize how much detail and how much that would actually help me in driving um, i definitely improved in my consistency by having a you know better graphics so that was a big upgrade for me are you running triples or just still a single monitor 
It's still a single monitor. I would love to run triples. I found on some of the circle track, uh, Daytona, Talladega, I really struggle with knowing how close. I, I find myself being more tentative because I don't want to get into somebody and not knowing where they are. And I think that would be a huge advantage to be able to have those and be able to see my peripheral uh, much better. How about your setup, Scott? Uh, well, I have, let's see, um, I got the OSW uh, Big Midge uh, motor. So I got that set up and I got it uh, hooked up to the Fanatec um, F1 rim. And uh, hopefully, eventually, you're going to have to switch over to a NASCAR rim because running these and, and making these setups for the for our Top Gun Cup series with these old 87s, that they're beasts. <laughs> I need a bigger rim. Uh, my, my thumb's hurting. But um, then I run triple setups and things like that. And uh, I do have... Um, I, I did upgrade my computer from from about a five-year-old, five or six-year-old computer. And, and now we're, I kind of went in elbows deep, you know, it's a 9,700. Um, and uh, still, still a little behind on the, on the video card, just doing a 1080. But uh, so we'll make that jump whenever we upgrade to VR sometime in the future. And we know uh, which league, one of the leagues that you're running with, Scott. Uh, how about uh, any other leagues or what official racing do you like to do? Um, when, when I started off, I started off in, in on the oval side, I started, um, really want to challenge myself. So I, I kind of jumped into the, the gen six stuff and, and things like that. So I mostly ran the NIS, um, cause I love long races cause I'm not, I'm not a short run guy. I'm a, I'm a rhythm long stretch driver. And, uh, that, that was, I really, really enjoyed it. And then I stepped away from that kind of when the tire model started getting a little squirrely. And, um, I went over and started working on, on the roadside and I absolutely fell in love with the F1 series back when it was the F, um, FW30, uh, 35, no FW31. And then we switched over to the McLaren and then we're back to the FW31 again. So, um, the open wheel stuff is, is kind of, kind of some of my favorite things to do. How about you, Brian? Well, I've been running in the, the throwback IndyCar series when it first started, um, it was, uh, there was only eight or 10 cars last year in the very, very beginning. And I, I fit in well with, with that group of guys, um, as more and more cars and more qualified drivers came in the series, I quickly learned how inexperienced I was. So I've kind of stepped away from doing that. I don't want to mess up somebody else's race. Um, and I did the same thing with the, um, the throwback cup series in the beginning. I ran a couple of races, uh, and then I stumbled across a series. The um, Online Sim Racing Association has a dash series. It was the trucks only at super speedways. And it was um, not less talented drivers, but it was uh, I fit in better with those skill levels, and I did better at that. So I ran that this year. Um, but a lot of what we do is with our drivers for race events that we go to, we'll get on and host a, a practice race at a track to try to get them familiar with it um, and try to make sure everybody's ready for the race weekend when, when they come drive with us. Cool. And uh, one of our favorite uh, questions that we like to wrap our interviews up with is, uh, what is your most memorable racing moment? We'll start with Brian. Um, ooh, I won one of those truck races uh the dash series it was i was being pushed by my teammate and it was super close we were within less than a car length to win at a, at a speedway so i was really excited with that i think that's probably the best i've ever finished so, so that was my most exciting moment i had this year how about you scott um there's there's actually two <laughs> and, you, and you'll get probably get a chuckle out of this and they're, they're kind of equal um 
the 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 top one is a, an actual my one and only F1 win at Suzuka last year, and uh, it wasn't top split. I can't hold a candle to those guys, but um, we had a really strong second split in that series in the official series. It's 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 a really great group of drivers, and uh, just had a great race at Suzuka, and uh, I got my my first real high quality victory in on the roadside and F1 in that one. And then the second one was an incident free NIS race at Martinsville running mid pack the entire time. That's a a big feat. (laughs) That's why they're tied. (laughs) Well, we definitely uh, appreciate having you guys on here, Brian, Mike, can you think of any other questions you'd like to throw in? Well, just about the F1. uh, I don't know if you know, Scott, they're changing the car going into next season on the F1 series. Uh, are you a fan of that? Um, what are they going back to? Are they going back to the McLaren? Yeah. Apparently they've reworked it with the uh, same changes they did on the 3.5. And, uh, yeah, they're going to switch back to that car, apparently. Yeah. Uh, we we just had our, our daughter at the end of December. And uh, I haven't been able to, to dedicate the time to, to really race the F1 series. So I've kind of stepped away from pull my fingers off the pulse of what's happening there. So I didn't know about, about that change again. Um, I was a, a, a strong proponent of going to the FW 31. Um, the McLaren was always uncomfortable to drive. And from what I understood, it was uncomfortable to drive in the real world too. And, uh, the only issue that I really ever had with that car, cause, cause even the handling was manageable. You can, it's a race car. Everyone's in the same boat as you are. The only thing that I that I ever kind of really had as far as a point of contention was is they always adjusted, and it seemed like every couple of weeks, or at least every season, they would readjust how the curves worked, and you had to completely reevaluate your race strategy because you know everything is highly based on your battery and stuff like that. So that was the only thing that really that really kind of turned me off about that. So we'll see what we'll see what they do. I mean, I'll give it a chance. You know, um, I like racing, so I like racing F1 cars. So we'll see. We'll see what they did to it. We are definitely looking forward to the partnership. Uh, I know a few of us are going to start sneaking in to, to run a few league races. And a part of the partnership is that you guys are also sponsoring a segment on the podcast. So when we get to our results section, it's going to be sponsored by you. And we're going to feature the results from the throwback races uh, each time uh, we, we get into those results segments. Yeah, that's awesome. We, we appreciate um, like I said, we, we appreciate partnerships like this, uh, because, um, I was, I would been telling people like, I, I know Mike from somewhere we raced together in the league or I knew oh, yeah. from somewhere. And, uh, I was, I remember when you guys started this podcast and I have been seeing you on and off and how it's grown and things like that. And I just think it's, I, I think it's awesome what you guys have done and accomplished. So, you know, how difficult it is to grow something. So anytime that that you can enter a partnership where you know you can get the exposure that you need and and really highlight your series, especially a series like ours, we run a very obscure kind of un it's I don't want to say unpopular, but it isn't a mainstream car on iRacing anymore. And the things that that our our drivers have really been able to to do and the shows they've been able to put on with this car, it's it's really great. And I I really appreciate the opportunity for people to to for this to get on their radar. And number two, um, 
I like I like to highlight the the sponsorship and, and the partnership that we have with Brian and Nine Four Motorsports um, because it is of vital importance whenever you have a, a really really solid relationship with somebody in a company that that sees the the benefit of sim racing and the real world racing because I went from iRacing into real world racing now I race super late models and there's a benefit to that so anytime that we can get sim racers who may have some track real world experience and they're looking to 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 get in with a company like like Brian's and 94 Motorsports anything that that we can all do to benefit each other that's that's awesome it's definitely a great benefit for both of us we almost forgot one thing i can't i'm, I'm sorry i forgot to bring this up but brian can you tell us about the contingency prize that's going to the series champion which is the main reason we brought you on yeah absolutely um last year we kind of in our infancy we we gave apparel some swag to the the champion um for the the 2019 season so we wanted kind of to up our game this year and um as i said earlier we're always trying to find that way to connect the iRacer to real world racing, wheel to wheel racing, if you will. Um, and I've kind of struggled with how to do that. And we, we thought offering a, we call that a driving experience to the, to the series champion in 2020. Um, it's, it's really going to be more like a test. It's like we would do um, any potential driver that would come and, and want to do one of our arrive and drive races. They'd come with us and we would do a full day of testing. Um, we would um, decide, um, what their goals are, they would tell us what goals are, what they're looking to achieve out of out of motorsports, and we would tailor that test day to getting them up to speed in the cars with us and being ready to, to race on track. And for the 2020 champion of the, the Throwback IndyCar Series, they're going to get that exact same experience. They're going to be able to come uh, to a track with us. They're going to get the full treatment. They're going to be able to drive the cars um, if their goals are to go fast and just have fun we're going to do that for them if their goals are to work on specific styles of driving maybe shifting apexes um, you know tracking out anything that they want to work on we're going to work on them one-on-one -on -one and uh, give them all the attention they need just like we would uh, any regular driver so the champions are going to get that all they need to do is go to the, the four motorsports website they can register for the contingency there just some short information um, that we want to find out about them and, and know know what their goals are, and then um, at the end of the season we'll we'll crown a champion and and we'll get together in 2021 and do that test day with them and hopefully in a in a perfect world and in my my mind I would love to see them actually be able to race with us um, in the future after we do that. That's kind of kind of what we're looking to do. We bridge that gap with with something like this. That's pretty amazing. I've gotten to drive a late model at Memphis, um, and I'm thinking about going up to St. Louis here in a couple of weeks and driving the Formula cars on at, at Gateway. But it's a very neat, uh, it's a very neat prize. It's, it's yeah, it's top top of the line. The que uh, last question for Scott is: How many drop weeks can I have to get a shot at that title? <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> Fourteen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we have uh, we have a twenty race season. And uh, like I said, we're around 14, I believe. We're running up on round thir uh, 15 next week, and we usually uh, have four drop weeks in the season. So we'll see what we can come up with next year for you. All right. Well, thank so you guys when, for coming. When people uh, want to join up with the league, uh, where do they go to get more information? Oh, absolutely. Um, we're on Facebook, um, Multiple Classic um, Online Racing Series on Facebook. I post a lot in iRacing Drivers World. 
and uh, iRacing Leagues, uh, those two Facebook pages. And um, but our website is ultimateconquestracing.com, and those it's all hyphenated and things like that. And I want to add one more quick thing. When Brian Brian's going to be kind of a little bashful about this, but it, when these when the champion of our series goes out to a track day with nine four motorsports, they're not getting in a back marker vehicle. Nine four motorsports is near the front or they're on the podium anytime that they're competing. It's in the uh, Champ Car Endurance Series. So they're going to be in absolute top-notch equipment. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. We don't have any we don't have any back marker equipment. We're going to put you in, you know, one of the cars. It could be coming straight from a race um, that we've just done if we can ever get back to racing this year. But yeah, it's all great stuff. It's going to be uh, podium podium stuff that we we race. If we're not finishing in the top three, you know, we're upset and we want to do better. So that's the kind of equipment we're going to put you in. That's the kind of um, attention we're going to give you. Um, we want this, while it's called an experience, it's it's really, we want you to to get, you know, everything you can out of it and, and meet whatever goals you have, have set for yourself in motorsports. And you mentioned the drop weeks. I know that's, you're kind of fun in it, but, you know, the, the attention this gets um, this year is really going to determine if we are going to be able to do that again next year, um, you know, there's ways that we track that through the website and social media. We see how much attention this is getting. And in the end, it is a business. And if, if we're not seeing, you know, some, some talk about it or some kind of positive come from it, we probably wouldn't do it again next year. If there's a lot of talk about it, a lot of positivity come up, coming from it. We have a lot of hits, if you will. Um, we may do this again next year and then, then anybody can get in and, and start afresh, you know, for 2021. All right. Pretty cool. Well, thanks for coming on guys. Um, telling us about that ultimate conquest racing.com. Uh, yeah, I might get involved in that cause I'm kind of open on Thursdays now. Let's jump into topics. <laughs> uh, next up we got now, if you guys want to stick around, uh, you're welcome, but you can bail at any point. That's fine too. Sure. But I can stick gonna, around for a little bit. Yeah. We'll jump in. If you have something to say, that's the whole idea. We get a good discussion going, but the first topic we got is this Coke news from the Coke series. Uh, it is off week uh, this week, but we got some uh, social media posts from Jimmy Mullis, uh, who won New Hampshire and was surprised uh, when his team, Richmond Raceway Esports, sent him not only a New Hampshire trophy, uh, but a checkered flag from New Hampshire as well. Pretty cool. So it was yeah. nice to see uh, some, some real hardware uh, being handed out. That was kind of neat. Did, uh, did that come from the Coke series itself, or did it come from his uh, owners at Richmond Raceway? Yeah, I think Richmond had something to do with that, um, his owners. But I don't know if Richmond and New Hampshire are tied together under the same umbrella or not, but it probably had some kind of partnership there. They're both uh, SMI, aren't they? SMI right. tracks. And then Brian, we had World of Outlaws, and guess what? I actually saw the last chance qualifier, and I was blown away at the – at the last lap where he slid up in front of that guy and literally, literally took that final spot. It was a, some, some questionable touchy, touchy, you know, move out of my way kind of racing. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely, guys. I mean, this is some of the, some great racing that goes on in these late models, because the the sprint cars are really good as well, but they just don't beat and bang. It's it's almost the equivalent of um, you know like a Formula One car for a sprint car compared to a stock car in late models, where you know beating and banging doesn't destroy your car pretty much every time. It it takes a lot to really do it. So so uh, these drivers they get pretty aggressive with it, and they really really take to those uh take to those fenders. That's for sure. Yeah, that was an amazing, uh, you know, he's just trying to get to that transfer spot and he was digging on the bottom and he couldn't quite get up in front of him. And then we ran out of laps. And so he just kind of took it, you know, and just kind of slid up there and pushed that guy to the wall. And yeah. Yeah, that, 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 there's a sense of desperation in those, uh, in those consolation B mains that, that you don't see in a lot of the other racing because it's your last chance to get into the feature. And uh, so uh, caution to the wind on those. Okay, so tell us what else happened. That was what I noticed. All right, so uh, this past Monday, we entered round seven of the World of Outlaws Late Model Series with a new leader in points for the fourth consecutive week. So so that just goes to show you how tight this, this points race has been, um, where, you know, the leader, the leader in the points is changing week after week after week. So uh, this time uh, coming in, Dylan Wilson was the leader with a margin of just 11 points over Hayden Carwell and 14 points over Evan Say. Uh, but Zach McSwain, he takes the fast time in qualifying and goes on to win the pole for the uh, feature race. In Heat 2, Kendall Tucker runs away for the win. He, now, Kendall Tucker, he's in fourth points in the, in the championship. And um, he, it, it, we're at the point of the season where he really needs to finish well, really well, for the rest of the season. And probably needs a little help from the top three guys to really get into the, to the picture. Um, now, the third seat. The third heat was uh, was had all three point leaders at the top of the field. With Cardwell was on the pole, and he ran away with the win. Second went to the current points leader Wilson, and Evan C finished in third. And uh, the fourth heat went to Blake Cannon, and uh, with James Eden f- finishing second, who was the winner last week at Kokomo. So that takes us to the feature race, and Kendall Tucker from the outside pole took the early lead. Uh, until lap five when a caution came out where Tyler Ducharme, he sends Brandon Proudfoot on top of the access wall road and, and he's just tottering on top of the, uh, top of the wall like, like we've seen in some of those not top 10 uh, iRacing videos. He, he might be a nominee coming up, so uh, keep an eye out for that. <clears throat> on lap uh, 15, Cardwell forces way past Zach McSwain to take over second, and it begins. He just begins to hunt down the leader, Kendall Tuckle, from there on out. And then the big drama happens on lap 23 when Tyler Ducharme, for the second time of the night, puts a car in the wall and flips the car. But this time, the driver was Evan Say, third in the points. He gets flipped. Who gets flipped, and finishes a killer 19th place for his chances of winning this series. So I got a Tyler Ducharme story. I'm going to interject real quick. So I used to run with Tyler Ducharme like a million years ago back in the Nordgar League. And uh, as well as there's several uh, current Coke drivers that were in that league as well. But Tyler was one of those guys, and um, he had this kind of reputation, I think, of getting a little bit aggressive. And there were some some people in there, they would say, you got Ducharmed. You got Ducharmed, is what they would say, if he uh, – 
would kind of rub them the wrong way and push them out of the way. Yeah, that's not good when your name gets turned into a verb like that. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so it sounds like Evan Say got Ducharmed. <laughs> yeah, he sure did. Well, well, what, what was happening is uh, Ducharme was coming uh, on the low line, trying, trying a slider, and just not giving the guy on top the room and just smashing into him, pushing him against the wall and causing all kinds of carnage. Uh, that's so, kind of uh, what I was seeing, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure there was some pretty upset drivers. Evan Evan was probably upset as anyone, being that he was uh, so close to being in this championship point race. So on lap 33, after several laps of just beating and banging, Hayden Carwell takes the lead from Tucker, and then he just goes on the win. That's his third win of the season, uh, with Tucker finishing second, and McSwain finishes third. So... Uh, uh, after all that, another change at the top of the points with Hayden Carwell regaining the points lead by just five points over Dylan Wilson. And Evan Say, after that terrible finish, man, he's 50 points back now and pretty yeah. much pretty much out of it now. Yeah, he got disarmed. Yep. Uh, but Cardwell looks pretty good with the most wins on the series so far and, and obviously leading the points. Yeah, and if if you if you watch that feature, man, he was he was just very aggressive. He's been aggressive all season long. Um, a lot of times it works out well, and he gets three wins. And sometimes, you know, he's starting in the B main. So uh, yeah, I, I it's definitely looking like a two car race to the finish with him and Dylan Wilson. Uh, Dylan Wilson seems to be a little bit more of a patient type of driver. You know, he takes his spots when he gets them. He doesn't force too much. But, uh, yeah, he might have to step up his aggressiveness to try to uh, stay with Cardwell in this finish. Yeah, I think that's yeah, – I, I called this series bar rules uh, because almost anything goes, you know. Uh, and I think they self-police out there, you know. Uh, there'll be some payback. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, if, if you're looking at the leaders, I think Cardwell probably has a few more receipts coming than, than Dill Wilson. So you know, we look forward to that in the next couple of weeks and see, and see how it plays out. Yep. Okay. Next up, let's talk. Uh, uh, we got a release, uh, season three, patch five. Uh, they never stop, guys. It's crazy. Uh, first up was the iRacing UI. Um, they added some uh, results, uh, which were, I saw some pictures of. It looked pretty cool because you could see strength of field and all these other stats that you couldn't see before. Pretty cool. I guess the UI is slowly making its way towards an interface that might be usable. Well, one thing I noticed in the release notes is they didn't use the word beta for the first time. They just called it iRacing UI. So maybe we're out of beta? Is that what that means? Well, it still says beta on the website. Right. <laughs> I don't know. but Or is that just a, a slip of the tongue? Uh, I don't know. Well, well, we know iRacing's trying to kind of push push people towards using that. Maybe maybe that's the first step. They have been. Uh, next up was a telemetry fix. That was if you had telemetry on, it was causing stutters, and there were a lot of people reporting that. I saw that. I wonder if that was the case for me. We'll find out. Um, some changes to some of the cars here: the Delara uh, IR18. Uh, alpha channel and the paint pattern was messed up, so you had trouble with the paint. Uh, simple stuff like that. The 87 car uh, suspension has been adjusted to reduce the likelihood of the rear axle popping out of place. And I can tell you, after driving this car, 
it has felt like at times like the axle was going to fall out of place. I don't know how, you, how to describe how that feels, but I swear I have felt that before. Oh, there's even, um, yeah, because like I said, we've been in our league, we've been jetting into that car and building the setups and things like that. And uh, the one of the neat things, aside from from that rear end thing, is that we've, we've identified a couple more issues in the forums. Um, that some of us have driven cars similar. Obviously, it's not cup cars, but like heavy cars for the old metric bodies and things like that. That uh, And we've gotten uh, the ear of one of the devs, and um, there's a couple things that they're going to address even too. I, I believe you said at the, at the next official season build too. So they're looking at that car, and that's a really, really good thing. I love that car. It's been a real blast. I've been running the official series and uh, enjoying it. Uh, the Cup cars have also had some changes uh, in regards to the new Daytona road configuration that we're going to be running. Uh, they uh, changed the appearance of the splitter and spoiler. Uh, I think NASCAR decided to go with the high downforce, but the high horsepower package uh, with this track. That's correct. Yep, so they made the visual changes for that. Um, and then, obviously, they put out the Daytona uh, road course with the uh, new chicane. Have you guys tried it? I haven't. Yeah, I haven't tried that yet. I'll put plenty of laughs on it next week. Still trying to figure Michigan out. I think Tony Rochette tried it, and he, his feedback was, man, you got to really hit the brakes <laughs> coming uh, into that chicane. Uh, you really have to slow the car down. Well, the, the concern basically before the chicane was the fact that the car was going over 200 miles an hour coming to turn one. And um, that is a huge braking zone in, in, in the old configuration, even in the sports cars. A lot of sports cars wipe out there, so I, I just couldn't imagine the cup cars getting through there. Yeah, that's a tricky, that's a tricky entry there because it's kind of off camber. You're going downhill, and it, that's difficult for even high downforce cars, let alone a, a, you know, a cup car. Well, that has a lot of downforce too, but... Big old heavy car like that, oh, I, I can see some issues. Yeah, if you don't get the line straight while you're braking, you're going to spin. Now, iRacing put out a great video. Uh, if you don't haven't tried it, you can watch the video and, and see what it looks like uh, from above and, you know, on each side. And then they even do a lap at the end of the video, an entire lap of the track, so you can kind of get a feel of it from the driver's point of view. And the reason they were able to put this update out so quick, I think we discussed this last time, the turtles that they're using are the same turtles that they use, they're using in Charlotte. And so they already had the, this curbing scanned and all they had to do was get basically, I guess, sort of like GPS data on where they were going to position it. And, and they just put, them, put it in that way. Something that um, Evan spoke of last week that I thought was pretty crazy is that um, that the the NASCAR was actually talking to iRacing about you know testing this chicane out on the on the service uh, before they actually put it in the track. That's 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 quite quite of a accomplishment to uh, to be relied on. Well, I mean, there were some big questions. I mean, when they first said they're not going to Watkins Glen and they're going to go to Daytona. I think uh, they put up a video of Blade Wit doing a lap at the normal Daytona road course. And I think that brought up some questions, uh, you know, can the tire handle it? Uh, the loads, you know, going down the oval, you know, and that kind of thing. And and so uh, I think, you know, it was just one of those things. Hey, you know, try this out see how it works. And the partnership is definitely real now. 
Yeah, definitely. It, it reminds me of back um, during the Chili Bowl last year when um, they came to iRacing because the track wasn't wasn't running as well as it did last year, and iRacing iRacing provided them the data to uh, to try to get the track where it was the year before. Right. Yeah, it's pretty cool that, it, that we got it in iRacing before they actually built it for real, too. And I, you know, it's usually the other way around. So, yeah, and you know, all the drivers are going to be flooding to to get that because you know the news. You can't you can't race that in the real world because you get fined. So the the benefit and of suspended. being able to run it on the sim is is even more so now. Right, your uh, Alex Labby got a big old fine and penalty uh, for testing uh his xfinity car at daytona recently as well as a two-week suspension steep so um in the forums this week uh gary weaver and uh, michael jones were asking a couple of questions about rescanning some tracks like the glen uh hot watkins glen and motorsport and Michael Jones asked if there's any circuits that have been scanned that are sat in the bag, basically not 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 having anything done with them uh, years ago that could be worked into into the meantime. Well, um, Gary West, the staff member, replied that they're really fully booked in their track building catalog, but reminded them that they're still working on Long Beach, uh, Crandon, Hockenheim, and the Coca-Cola Speedway, so um, and more in the pipeline including another uh, more dirt ovals as well. So uh, their, their, uh, their list of tracks that are coming out is pretty long already. And so, so Gary was, Greg was just basically saying, yeah, we, we really kind of booked up right now. Yeah, and Weed Sport and Nashville as well. Correct, yeah. That's coming out this, 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 one, this next one. So that's at it. least six. And then um, Crandon is the dirt, uh, dirt truck one, I think. Yeah, that's that's like uh yeah, one of the uh one of the uh, pickup truck races, yeah. And that act that track is actually near where I live. And that is a huge huge event. It's a huge weekend and uh there's going to be a lot of happy people whenever Crandon gets dropped. I'm just really ready for to... another track because I'm so sick of the two that we have. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. The, the the Wild West and the other one, man, they're just getting just you're doing the same ones over and over. And the truck's not as much fun on some of the rally cross tracks that they have. I wonder if they could just take some of the uh, oh, some of the shorter road courses and just add some jumps to them and make them into almost like stadium truck tracks. They're not really stadium trucks. I mean, I, they're they're different than that. Stadium truck is more like a hybrid, you know, pavement, dirt kind of thing. I think these are, if you watch, the, you know, the, the race at Crandon that Scott's talking about, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that's not like the stadium trucks at all. They're just pure dirt truck, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely pure dirt trucks. Uh, quick question, guys. Um, so Long Beach is a, a street course, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. How did they? How did they wind up getting that scan? Being that it's a you know a functional street when it's not being used. I think at the time they just they scanned it right before or after the actual event. And and if that's the case, what's the option? What's the possibility of doing uh, uh, the uh, Monaco? It, is Monaco a lot more urban and a lot harder to get in to scan? Plus, it's uh, a continent away. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal. A lot of hillside, yeah. Lots of buildings and stuff. I don't. I think Long Beach is a little bit easier because it's flat, you know, and it's just it's like a, a normal city, city blocks. 
Monaco is a pretty major city. I, I, I suppose I could Google it, but uh, I'm, I, I think Monaco is quite a bit more populous than Long Beach. I don't know, but I'd love for them to do Monaco. That'd be great. And, you know, they're starting to get these Formula One tracks, so at some point they're going to have to do it. And, and could it possibly be one of the deals where they're using an outside scan like, uh, like they've started doing? Well, we'll see. With the COVID, everything's changed, you know. Maybe they have to do that as their business model going forward. Yeah, well, they, can, exactly. they can tell if the data, if the data is going to fit what they need. You know, you can tell if the data is quality or not just by looking at it statistically. There's this there's standard deviation stuff that you can do when you're looking at it to see if you're getting good data or not. Yeah, and, and Hockenheim is the track, right, that uh, set the precedent for them using an outside scan for the first time, correct? Yeah. So while we're talking about new material, we also have a new uh, picture of the LMP2 that's coming out. It's going to be the Delara P217. And they say it's pretty much ready for liftoff. Um, a couple of people are asking about some other cars. There was a question on whether or not it was, if it has the new damage model or not. And the answer is no, because not all of the cars in multi-class have the new damage model. And I'll throw in my two cents again. I hope they can just throw this in place of the C7 in IMSA, even though it's not actually an IMSA car. Yeah, pretty cool screenshot. Um seeing the reflection off the glass and and it it just looks so real pretty cool next up we got a uh, sim racing coaching and training uh opportunity uh it's scott mansell he's the founder of drive driver 61 a virtual racing school with multiple coaching options he teaches in the mazda mx5 which he believes is the best car for instructional sessions and explains why in his master class course introduction. And his website is driver61.com. And uh, yeah, if you want to pay somebody to teach you how to sim race, uh, this is an option. I haven't had time, but I definitely want to go back and see uh, why he likes that car. But I mean, it is, it's the rookie car. Um, it's a momentum car. You have to, if, if you overdrive it, you get punished. Um, and after you get used to some of the higher power, high downforce cars, it's kind of harder to go back to. But it, it is a good, it, it definitely is a good place to start. Yeah, I actually watched some of that video and he explains it as um, that the car, the MX-5 car, is in the corners for a much longer period of time. So it, uh, it, he basically can slow down and, and break down a corner a little bit better with that extra amount of time in the, in the curve. Just to chime in, one of the other things that, that is nice about the MX-5 is it doesn't, it's, a, it's still a, a pretty straightforward race car a lot of mechanical grip and a lot of stuff like that like you don't have all the extra downforce you don't have all the extra stuff that can mask um maybe some driver mistakes and things like that so you're getting you're getting the pure rubber meets the road feedback as far as you know hey did i overshoot the entry you know that i apex wrong or something like that whereas you know if you hit in with even with a skippy it has a little bit of downforce and i, I do believe any of the other road course cars too or they got a wing. They got a whole bunch of stuff on them that that'll can help you out too. And and David, you do make a good point that it's a rookie class car, so it's available to anyone on the service. You know, you don't have to worry about uh, buying extra content to to get the lessons and stuff like that. 
Yeah, but the, the more time in the corner does make sense because it's going to be easier to see what he's showing you as well. Um, I did a lesson with Cronky with from BRS, and we went back and did a lot of stuff, but we did it in slow motion so he could show me where I was missing the apex or apexing too soon, things like that. Uh, so this is a good option. Look into it. Yeah, and uh, he's got a lot of videos on his uh, on the, his YouTube channel. Some of them are, are – uh, a lot of them are Formula One um, – geared towards formula one it breaks down uh current drivers and and older drivers and how they used to race it's uh, he's got a lot of content on there already without even going into his service well that's what i was going to say brian is there's so much free content here you don't even have to pay him i mean he's got this playlist called the driver's university um with like 27 videos on it of how to drive and there's a ton of content here about and it's kind of neat to see him in front of the whiteboard and and he's got, you know, all these formulas and the different graphs and, and things behind him that he's referring to. And it really feels like a classroom uh, when you're watching this. Yeah, he, he really approaches things in a scientific way, you know, which, which you kind of come to expect from Formula One. Check it out, yeah. Um, if you go at some tips, uh, free tips, check out driver61.com. So, uh iRacing member Josh Thaxon asks uh, in the forums if we can get the Geico restart zones for the NASCAR tracks that don't have them. So um, uh, I didn't see any response from anyone on the staff as to uh, answering that question for him. So what, what do you guys think? Do we, do we need these uh, restart zones? We do. And uh, after today's announcement by NASCAR about the choose cone, we need the choose cone too. I'm more excited about the choose cone than the restart zones. The, the way this guy is asking about it, he's basically just wanting it for leagues because the restart zone, the way it works in, in sim is it goes from where the pace car goes off until the flagman throws the green, which is a lot bigger than the restart zones in real life. Uh, even with the ones where they do have it graphically, it's not the same zone. So, um, they will, but he's asking for it to be added graphically. That wouldn't take a whole lot of effort. That would be just look on look on the video, see where it is, and paint it in. Yeah, and I I think that can clean up some of the restarts because there's such a variety of when these when these uh, leaders are taken off at these starts. You know, some of them go as soon as that pace car dives in, and some of them wait to the last second. You know, so I think it'll clean up clean it up when everybody has a better idea when when the car when the race is going to restart. Well, it won't in official series because it, none of those graphic restart zones are enforced uh, unless they change when the pace car gets out of the way. I would like them to be able to enforce that, though. Like, if you're not in the restart zone, you get a black flag or something, you know? Yeah, I'd like to see that, too. And I'll tell you this from, from a league owner perspective, and you're watching, especially like stuff on the broadcast and things like that, There, there's not a whole bunch of more things more kind of the, one of the last things you want to see is all your guys balling up on a restart and from all the anticipation and stuff like, like you guys are saying, like the, the quote unquote unofficial restart zone is so long and people are trying to anticipate and things like that. It, it just, you guys see an official races all the time. It, it just adds up to a bunch of, of mayhem and things like that. And, um, and then the other thing that, that I want to, that just popped in my head when you guys are talking about it, is you have the folks on single monitors and especially at some of these short tracks and you know like richmond or iowa or someplace like that where you're heavy in the in the corners 
you can't see further up ahead. So if there's an accident up ahead and you're on a single monitor, it's really tough for you to see that whenever the, the leader is going right off the bat, right as soon as that the, the pace car pulls off. But the restart zones are usually further down the front straight. So that aspect too might be able to help out with a little more, you know, the anticipation stuff, people able being to see further down the track and see in trouble. Well, there's a couple of things that come up the you're technically allowed to go when the leader goes but you you have you'll have like say four people who have actually real life spotters who are watching the leader and then you'll have everybody else who is either just looking the lead for the leader themselves if they're close enough or they can only wait until they see people around them start going um so if you got somebody who's in 20th place he jumps the restart because he's been told the leader's going but the, there's uh, three wide, four or three rows, four rows in front of him. They haven't gone yet, and it, that that's that can cause a lot of problems too. Well, I think the restart zone is such a small box that uh, you know. I think the people in the back can anticipate when the leader is going to hit it, and so everyone will know when the race is going to start. I think if you had it, so I think yeah. it'll clean up the starts because of that. It could help, but I also wish they they would they would just go ahead and make it a, a officially protestable, if not enforceable within the game, to uh, protest people for passing or for jumping out of line early, unless they have to because of an incident, All right? Because we we had it in the NIS race last night, and I I let let it go, but somebody on the on the very first restart, he he's coming ten miles an hour faster than everybody when when we've barely gotten going. Well, it's protestable, and uh, you can protest that. I just want NASCAR, you know, let's, let's follow what NASCAR is doing. Let's do the choose cone. Let's do the restart zone. Let's have the same amount of caution laps that they have, not counting TV. And let's do the PJ1, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll, I'll tell you, as, as a short track racer, um, the, the choose cone is actually a lot of fun. It is, it adds so many more layers, especially like in the league race and stuff like that. Cause in the, in the real world where we're looking at the choose cone and we're, we're counting, like our spotters are counting. It's like, okay, there's five guys on the inside. There's seven guys on the outside, but number three man on the inside is so-and-so. And that guy is horrific. And you're like, well, I'm going on the outside. Cause I know that guy's going to hold up everybody on the inside. So like that, that, that cone adds in a whole lot of fun to to the strategy on all the restarts i'd, I'd really like to see that yeah all right next up we got a forum uh, uh post with a uh vote and we had a lot of votes on this one uh 578 but the question is uh when someone's at your front door while you're racing do you get up to answer the door and give up the win yeah when you're <laughs> leading the race yeah 96% said, no, you do not get up to answer the door. How hard are they knocking? Right. Is, I don't answer the phone. I don't answer the phone. I don't answer the door. Uh-uh. I have headphones on, so I can't really hear the door anyway. Yeah, yeah. there's no way. I'm, I'm stopping my race for that. No way. Priorities, man. It's a, it's a similar question to the wife, Agro. Was it Bernard that, that had his wife bugging him with a question when he, when he was close to winning a race? Yeah, well, Bernard, uh, they pulled his Bernard headphone Pollard. off of his head and he turned it into the wall because of it. Yeah, that, that, I think he was in third place, he said, and, and just totally crashed when it happened. 
Because she just pulled the left cup off the left ear, and that somehow made him turn left. Yeah, it throws balance off, I guess, right? Well, it, it just will startle you. I mean, you, you know, you're going to be like, what? You turn, if you turn your head, have you never had that happen when you were first learning to drive? Like if you get beside a truck or you look one direction and suddenly the car starts drifting that way as well? Right. And they, they say sometimes if, if you're just driving along and you're looking at the wrong thing, not looking in front of you, that's the way you go. Yep. We interacted a little bit with Bernard Pollard this week and invited him to sit with us last night in the NIS race. Um, he, he was late getting there, but uh, he was uh, talking back to us like he wanted to do it. We'll see if he shows up tomorrow. That'll be fun if he can make it. He had a, he had a softball with his daughters. Yeah, so we're trying to get him uh, on team speak and get him in one of these NIS races and get him in bottom split and see what he thinks. Speaking of celebrities, we have a celebrity rig review, and I, I took this topic because uh, you probably might know from the theme song, I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a metalhead, even though I also play in a symphony. Uh, and this is Sid Wilson from Slipknot, and he has a six-degree DOF reality, or, or I think it's six degrees. It's a P6 simulator, and he posted a video on Instagram. The DOF reality. This is that one that's got, like, these arms attached to the the seat cockpit thing and yeah it's kind of up in the air it's crazy looking rig it gives you those triangular it gives you that kind of triangular approach that where each actuator is able to control two directions instead of just one so fifty three hundred dollars for that baby and it's another one that doesn't take up a lot of big footprint on the floor too it's it's very compact is it's very compact it takes up less room than than a p180 so I wonder if uh, Sid from Slipknot, is he new to iRacing or has he been around or what? Did you look up his profile? Uh, I did. I looked up. Uh, I looked him up to see if he's on there. I didn't see him. His his um, his um, actual name is Sydney. So I looked up that as well and I didn't see it yet. So maybe he's just getting ready to start up. That's a pretty nice starter rig then, if that's the case. Oh, yeah. I got the impression from the Instagram that he's a start. This is a starter rig. Yeah. Okay, next up, um, some badass helmet painting uh, for for none other than our very own Greg Hectus and his frozen cactus paint job. Um, we had Michael Carey um, highlight on Twitter uh, our own Bobby Jonas Simraps uh, paint job, and it, this time it was uh, Greg's helmet with the uh, frozen cactus, the igloo, and the signature blue and white. Looked pretty good. Yeah, it looks great. I think it's a it's an awesome looking helmet. I wish Greg was here to talk about it a little bit more, but maybe next time. Now the guy on Twitter talking about it, Michael Carey, he's actually a host reporter at on NASCAR Race Hub, and uh, he does this once a week. He tries to find some kind of paint and uh, showcase it, and this time it's uh, Greg's. Well, uh, speaking of uh, people who don't win very often. Apparently, Dale Earnhardt Jr. <laughs> Dale Earnhardt Jr. posted uh, on Twitter that he just won his first race in the official A series in nine years. Is that that cannot be right, right? I know he was off the service for a while, so but I know he's been running pretty hard ever since uh, ever since the COVID stuff and all. So I think he's I think he's his first win in the A car. 
Okay, well, that, that makes a little bit more sense. I'm surprised right. he doesn't race that more. Maybe he's getting ready for the new series that he's going to get in. He's been well most of the summer as we were off. He was running a lot of NIS. Yep, and uh, nice to see him back to his winning ways <laughs> after nine years. But uh, I kind of thought he would win in the Pro Invitational, though. But he never actually did. <laughs> Yeah, well, if you remember, there was one race where he was really battling for the lead, and he could have uh, been really rude to try to win the race and uh, decided to, to be cool and, and not and not do anything that made the service look bad in, in what his opinion was. And I thought that was really cool of him not to do that. I'd like to see him back in NIS with uh, Elliot Sadler um, and so forth. So it's... Uh floating time right there's a dirt legend hovercraft paul mahone posted a form taking a picture of his his legend dirt legend car and you can see that the tires are not on the air however um it may be because he didn't ha quite have his graphic settings right uh i recently did that knoxville race and when i the first time i loaded the car you get this pop-up message that says make sure you check uh render dynamic or render dynamic track data and shader quality too high as possible because otherwise you don't see the tracks changing conditions and when you're looking at this you can see i don't think he had those settings because the the dirt looks too uniform all the way across and it doesn't normally look like that so that's probably what actually happened to cause it to look like a hovercraft yeah he kind of phrased the question as as if it was an issue with the with um the car or or something with the programming but i don't think that's it i think you're right i think he just didn't have the, the settings right for the dynamic uh track data yeah you gotta think that there's like clods and, and the surface isn't flat as you say you know it's got up and down and grooves and different things and so i think the car is naturally sits just an inch or two above the track because of that stuff and then if you visually don't see it it looks like the car is hovering pretty cool picture anyway all right guys so uh who wants a free helmet um sea bell racing apparel i guess that's christopher bell it's giving away an exclusive pristineauction.com mini signed helmet and all you have to do is follow and retweet at cbell underscore apparel and you'll be entered to win and that winner will be drawn this monday the 8th so uh so get your chance in because it's uh coming up monday to get get a chance to win this uh free helmet yeah and it's an i-racing helmet it's got the i-racing colors on it and it even has christopher bell's signature on the uh on the 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 front you know shield glass shield yeah i'm assuming it's the it's another chili bowl uh helmet that he wore uh, this past year, so I think that's what that's from. It, it says mini replica, though, so I don't think it's a full-size helmet. Right, yeah, it's not a full-size helmet. It's just a, 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 a copy of that actual helmet that he wore. I would love this for my office. I definitely uh, got in, in the contest. Uh, you have to retweet. There's only been 882 retweets, so I think uh, my chances are pretty good. Okay, next up, uh, a video from Justin Melillo, a friend of our po of the podcast. He runs uh, the RacingExperts.com. Uh, he's a NASCAR media guy, and he covers the Coke series in depth as well. But 
Uh, he also races a little bit, and uh, he showed us uh, he knows how to take them out and put them up on the dash when he put up a video of him at the IndyCar at Talladega literally going through the field from the front, from the back all the way to the front and almost getting the win. I think he was second right at the line. Uh, man, what a video. iRacing actually reposted this. My question was how? Wow, the draft is amazing, huh? <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he must have hit all those, all those uh, gaps perfectly, perfectly fine because he never really lost a lot of momentum, and everybody else is having the same draft too, but you know they were all in line in some different packs and stuff like that, and I saw that too. I was like, wow, okay. Well, it almost looks staged, like you said. Like the the seas parted like on purpose. Like they let him through the middle. Um, but it could have just been, you know, aware a driver's hey, they see he's got this huge run, they let him go, you know. Yeah, to to me it almost looked like the um AI cars at Daytona where they just stay in line and they don't really uh make any moves. They just stay in line and you just run right up the middle. Right. Well, it's not a full fendered car, so you can't throw a block and take a bump to the rear or it's going to kill you too. That's a good point. Pretty cool video by Justin. Uh, thought we would talk about that. So speaking of uh, running well and actually winning in the iRacing colors, Ty Majeski's at it again. He's a four-time ARCA Midwest Tour champion. Uh, he went back to Wisconsin and went back-to-back he won the Gandrid Auto Group 250 on Tuesday and then the Dixieland 250 on Wednesday. Um, and both of those, he was running the iRacing paints. They were both at Wisconsin International Raceway at Buchanan, Wisconsin. That is an awesome track. That's about, I want to say, two and a half hours south of where I live. And uh, I, I have some friends that, that run in that series. And um, that's the big boys. That's that's Midwest hardcore super late model racing and if you can if you can be in the top half of the field at any track that they go to it's saying something so it's really nice to see to see ty even before he kind of got his foot in the door in nascar and things like that you know with the partnership with iRacing all throughout the midwest and really putting the iRacing brand um through a through a racing hotbed it was really neat to see so I'm, i was glad he won yeah, yeah, and uh, nice to see the car, the colors, in victory lane. Cool. So another car that's sporting the iRacing uh, paint scheme is uh, is uh, on Dylan Welsh's, Dylan Welsh's uh, midget that he took to the USAC NOS Energy Drink Nationals at Action Track USA in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. So uh, this is his, uh, a midget race car. It's got the iRacing uh, paint scheme on the right side panel. Uh, and uh, he actually finished 17th in the race. I checked out the results. It was Wednesday night, yesterday that that ran. He finished 17th. Uh, Tyler Courtney won that race. And uh, Christopher Bell was actually in it, finished third place. And we, we know how Christopher Bell can, can wheel one of these uh, midgets around. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, Chad Boat's team. And that's where iRacing has a sponsorship. I don't think it's specifically with Dylan Welch, but with that team. I did see an interview with Dylan Welch about this. And uh, I think he's the son of one of the NASCAR reporters or announcers. Um, what's his name? But that's his tie into the racing world. But uh, what a nice young man. And uh, 
pretty cool to see the iRacing sponsorship on the Sprint car, at least for him. Uh, next up, we'll get into uh, podcast housekeeping notes. Uh, we got I listened to the Aftermath, like always, uh, podcast. Tony, uh, the two Tonys and Chris do. But they had a special guest, Will Gibson, on the Aftermath this week. Uh, former teammate and former host of this podcast and former editor of this podcast and former producer of this podcast. Uh, nice to hear from Will again. Um, he uh, bowed out of the team earlier this year. I think he burned out. But uh, good to hear him back. Uh, nice to uh, to hear him again. Uh, anyway, uh, an old friend. But uh, if you want to hear how this podcast is kind of produced or maybe some of the associated history uh, behind the scenes, check it out because they do talk about that a little bit. Um, it did remind me how this podcast really does take a village uh, to run uh, every week. It's not just me. Uh, Brian, you're putting a lot of effort in. David as well and everybody else, uh, Tony and Chris and everybody um, working on the show, and we do appreciate everybody being involved. Uh, with that being said, uh, don't forget to check those show notes. Uh, we've really been working on them. There is a link in the description of every podcast. It's turned out to be a great hardware resource. If you're looking for hardware, you can go to that Google Docs where we keep all those Google Docs and search keywords and find that stuff. Pretty cool. We're in regular rotation at the Performance Motorsports Network. Uh, they have 1.5 million listeners over there a week, so we're happy to be with them. And with that hardware, software, David, we got some pedals. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. These are not your low-end pedals. We're looking at about 620 euro, with the, that includes the tax. This is a high-end three-pedal set for uh, professional and sport pilots. And um, I can't access the website. Wait, yeah, I can. Here we go. And they look nice. I like the color. I like that kind of bronze, orange, kind of an orange, brown, bronze, metallic type look. Uh, they're pneumatic pistons, high-density gas. Um, so probably right up there along the lines of the Huskin builds as far as quality, if I were to guess. Don't have a review on them, but they look nice. So the technology, though, um, they, they call it an innovative technology with a pneumatic piston, high-density gas, puts the optimal pressure on the transducer. So the way that they're doing the brake, it's not hydraulic, but it's a different way with some kind of piston uh, thing. So I, I, I want to learn more about how that's uh, actually working. So, man, I hope Barry gets uh, his hands on these and takes them apart for us. Well, pneumatic is just hydraulic with gas instead of liquid. I see. Like a, not a liquid gas, but a gas gas. Well, I never heard of a liquid gas, but this is not a science podcast. Okay. Yeah, you could tell I'm not a scientist. It does say uh, the 50 units in, in promotion will be delivered in August 2020. I love the color of them, like you said, with that bronze, though. So. Yeah, it really pops. It's it's a great looking set of pedals. Big old base plate, you know. Um, they're kind of long though, you know, deep wise, because of the way the pistons designed, I guess. Uh, the pet the the part of the pedal 
looks like it's kind of small compared to some of the other pedals but as far as the actual length i think it's about i'm looking at over at my v3s and it looks like it's about the same dimensions okay it just looks like uh the pedal the actual pedal part's a lot shorter which might not be great for me with my with my small stature yeah this website is simracing-pro.com and i think this is spanish is that right yeah spain spain yeah all right, next up, a reminder about the iRacing flea market on Facebook. Uh, this group, I, I don't actually, I don't know if I'm in this group. Are you guys in this group? No, I'm not. And I put your name on it because I assumed you were. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am actually, now that I click on the link. But uh, yeah, this is a great place to uh, buy and sell gear. You know, if you're looking to to buy used equipment. Um, there's 22,000 people in this group. So uh, there's always posts going. Uh, yeah, is, is this a group where you found that used G seat that you were trying to talk me into buying? I think it might have been, yeah. That was tempting. How about this rig, though, out of the UK, Brian? Hey, I, I don't want to jump back, but I was just looking at these pedals. Uh, and I don't know if you guys noticed, but the clutch and the throttle are all... They look like they're transducers as well, not pots and, and not, uh, you know, hall sensors or anything like that. But they, they actually look like they use the same technology as the brakes, but they have different mechanics um, that look like it alters, you know, the feel of all the different pedals. Yeah, that's what I was saying. These look different than anything I've seen before. That's pretty unique. I've never seen anything like that before. So uh, next up, we have, a, like uh, Dave was saying, a really nice-looking rig from Simdeck, S-Y-M-D-E-C Limited. It's uh, on Facebook. It's a U.K. company. And, uh, wow, they have a, a track racer uh, rig, which is just beautiful. It's highlighted in, in blue LED lights. It uh, looks like it's uh, full motion with, uh, with uh, the seat belts. Uh, beautiful seat. It's it's a fantastic looking rig. But I think what SimDeck is providing as their portion of this is what you see underneath it, which is the deck. And see, that's where the Sim deck comes in. Okay, yeah, I see. I got you. So you're building off of their deck. It's like this. Looks like an orange piece of wood almost, or uh, it's like a big base, and then the cockpit is kind of sitting on top of that. So yeah, so I guess if that's the case, you could put pretty much any any rig you want on top of that eighty twenty um, or any kind of platform system like that at all. So if you go to their website, which is linkable on that Facebook page, you can see um, some different options that they have available and and their motion options. And so uh, that orange thing that we looked at that looks like a board, it's actually a little motion thing where it will move. Uh, your static cockpit. So the whole idea is you can put a, a static 8020 or a static track racer on top of this thing and it will move you about. And they have the S1, S2, S3, uh, which have different kinds of motion depending. And they all look the same, but apparently uh, like the S1 has surge, the S2 has pitch and roll, and the S3 has pitch, roll, and heave. And then they have a different piece called a traction loss uh traction loss motion platform that the orange piece i think would sit on top of that will give a 
a slip on the back, left to right. So a different kind of concept. This kind of reminds me of next level racing. Uh, they have a thing that you can put a stationary cockpit on to make it motion. This is a similar kind of idea. Uh, when all the COVID stuff settles down, we really need to get to a convention and get a chance to try all these out so we, we can speak a little bit more from experience. Yeah, I've never actually tried a motion rig. I'd love to. I got a video uh, about halfway down their homepage. And uh, what I like about this motion is it's such a low profile because the entire thing exists underneath the cockpit. I mean, it doesn't stick out. It's really low profile. It's not very tall. You know, it's like eight inches tall. Yep. So you don't have to have a, a basketball player's ceiling to, to fit it in the room. eh? And the Some amount of, of motion is pretty extreme too. Yeah, those uh, those six degree ones that have the triangular supports, they they look nice, but they definitely float high. So I'd so, love to see a review on this too. Yeah. So as we're looking at uh, rigs, we have Racetech USA simulators and accessories. And if you take a look at this, it's not an eighty twenty rig. It looks like just kind of solid spec pieces of steel, nice and sturdy. Um, you don't have to worry about the post in the middle like we look at for concerned. And then they have quite a few accessories as well. The price on the on the main rig is is eight hundred. I'm assuming that's U.S. If it's Canadian, that would be real cheap, right? I think and they're I based out of direction. U.S. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's got they've got a lot of nice accessories. They've got a seat slider to make it easier to get in and out. Quite a few different options for mounting shifters, uh, triple monitor mount, uh, and it all looks uh, well constructed. Uh, it's pretty solid pieces of sheet metal. I've never heard of this company, Racetech-USA.com. But uh, $800 for a cockpit. I would compare this to like a like my cockpit, a stationary Obutto Revolution, but it's not tubular, but it's like a, a flat sheet metal kind of look. Yeah, like almost like a girder type design. Right. Functional, maybe not too pretty, but functional. But what is, is it customizable? You know, that's the thing the 8020 really buys you when something like this might not be. Right, because if you look at the at the wheel mount, it's kind of sloped downward. And uh, if that's not adjustable, that that could be an issue with some of the wheel sets. It's, uh, the wheel's going to be, like, leaning the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would want it flat or even pointing up, not down. Exactly, yeah. I'm looking at some of the other pictures. It looks like uh, you can, I don't see how you can adjust the angle when I'm looking at this. It looks like you can adjust placement, but it's just got a, a platform sticking out that's triangular. And uh, I don't know how you could tilt it up or tilt it down. Yeah, it looks like it's permanently yeah. tilted down. I mean, unless you can flip it over and it'll be flat on the bottom and tilted away from you. I don't know. Sometimes we see these cockpits and you see something like that that just doesn't make any sense. Like I remember we saw one a few weeks ago where the triple monitors were like six feet away from the, where the seat was. You know, it was insan insanity. All right. Uh, I like this one. I found uh, this next one is um, called the 3D Rapkina and Pikes Sequential Shifter and Handbrake. And this is uh, provided by 3D Rapid. 
3drap.it. Yeah, we've talked about their website before, um, but they're selling this for 259 euros, uh, the combo set where you can get both of them. Not a bad price. Uh, they're made yeah, out of metal. that seems very reasonable. Yeah. I mean, there looks like it's metal and plastic. Uh, it looks obviously the plastic is uh, 3D printed, and this is a 3D print company. Uh, but it looks like they have metal where there needs to be metal, uh, so to speak. You know what I mean? Sure, and, and the shafts of the handbrake, and the, and yeah, it looks like it's strong where it needs to be, and I guess that's the most important part. And there's some adjustability to it as well, especially right. on the handbrake. Yeah, you can adjust the the screws on the side, the nuts, and, and it looks like shift them one way or the other. But also to mount them, uh, they're really thin, uh, you know, inch or so wide, and it looks like it's perfect to mount to eighty twenty. And I think they're even designed to, to mount next to each other, so you have have them literally like next to each other. Yep. And so that's three D wrap it. And uh, why we found these again was uh, Sim Racing Garage Barry did a review on them this uh, July 25th. And uh, if you want to see these in detail, he takes them apart, uh, looks at the innards and everything. And uh, that's, you know, I think I think Barry's review, I, I watched most of this video. I think he was favorable, you know, based on the, the price and whatnot. And I think he also liked the way that it was easy to mount to the 8020. This uh, next one, not so favorable on the price unless you're like trying to compete with Denny Hamlin's rig. Um, it's got a YouTube video on here and I've bounced back and forth through it and it's amazing. Big O motion rig, huge triple monitors. It looks like the, I don't know if it's just a physical illusion, but it looks like the middle monitor is actually a little bit smaller than the other two. Can you see that? Or am I just seeing it wrong? That's hard to tell. Yeah. It may just may have just been a, a fisheye it looks like he's got a couple of com extra computer monitors as well down on the bottom left or bottom right it's got the streamers console it's got real gauges that are tied in it's got a fourth monitor on top the full motion rig um and i'm sure the the computer alone is three or four thousand dollars it's uh on simon driver's youtube channel yeah this guy's name is Jeff Gorgens, Gorgans, and he posted uh, some pictures of his rig in a closed Facebook group. So I contacted him and said, look, we want to talk about your setup on our show. And he emailed me his YouTube uh, video, uh, his YouTube channel. It's called Sim and Driver. And you have got to go to this, video, this YouTube and check his video of what he calls his $100,000 driving simulator. And uh, like like David said, it is just amazing the setup he's got. He's got the the Kirky seat. He's got the, the seat belt tensioning. He's got the lit up analog gauges. He's got the cut off front of a NASCAR hanging on the wall. You know, the decorations, everything. Yeah, I'm drooling over that Kirky full containment seat. That thing is awesome. That's probably a good thousand dollars right there right. easily easily probably a lot more than that and uh, in the video he does show a, a little tour of the equipment and then it's at the end it shows him on his motion cockpit which has got the d-box uh style motion which is actually pt actuator um but not only does he have the motion on the top 
uh, on the four corners guys but the cockpit itself if you watch it's going forward and backwards in addition to that well he has the fifth actuator on the on the back that does the slip angle yeah there's really just nothing else to want on that rig (laughs) it's got everything you could possibly want no i always i always like the the rigs with the the stepper motor gauges and things like that they programmed in because whenever you get your your monitors close to you and you get the field the field of view right you always lose your gauges you know and it's always a little distracting for me to like you know map button to look down real quick and see if i'm going to blow up yet but uh I, i always admire really good gauges well there are options with uh third party apps to kind of put your gauges back in have those real gauges those are cool man yeah well like sim racing apps has tons of stuff including analog gauges if you like the look but is this thing really running six monitors or are those i think he's got there's two other monitors down there that are just just showing a desktop background that's probably run off a different computer yeah i think i think i saw that there's two separate computers he's got those uh brakes that i love the hpp prx that are the light powder blue color out of california i love those brakes if you look at uh, 150 on the video, you'll see them. But man, what a setup, uh, Jeff Gorgens. Uh, thanks for sharing your t- YouTube channel with me and uh, look forward to seeing what else you're going to do with this uh, monster cockpit. Pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know what else you could do. <laughs> well, that's what I think. I mean, he's got everything you can think of. I mean, what else would you do? Some kind of real, real uh, external shell. He's got a, he doesn't have the air blowing on him. Ah, uh, yeah, that. I love that forward-backward surge thing. That's pretty cool, though. Next up, a uh, follow-up. Uh, Craig Stikes, not Craig Sykes, who's a friend of the podcast. Uh, Craig Stikes wrote in and asked about these, uh, the Asus bezel kit that I bought a few weeks ago. Um, and just wanted to know a follow-up about, you know, how am I doing with them? Well, they're still installed, and I'm looking at them right now. Um, So if I'm still using them, I guess that says something. Uh, The thing I told him is it has to be exact. If your monitors move around a little bit like mine do, it can make them difficult to manage. Um, I actually have my bezels physically overlap just to get it right. Uh, Now, when I use the computer as a computer like I'm doing now and not racing, it's annoying because these things are uh, it, it, all the glass underneath these things are, is zoomed and it's kind of hard to use. So I can't have my website, you know, underneath it, so to speak. So it does take away some of my real estate on the monitor uh, by having these things. But when I'm racing, I think it's good. You know, it, I don't notice them. Um, it feels more seamless to me. Um, so I don't know if it's good or not. I, I haven't taken them off, so I guess it is good. And didn't you have to adjust the angles of your of your monitors to get them just right? Well, initially I did. I I did it how they described it in the dis- instructions, which was a real wide angle. It's not a good FOV. It didn't work, so I ended up putting it back to the angle I I normally run at. But to make these things work, I had to actually overlap the bezels a little bit. So before I bought these things, I just had the bezels, you know, touch up to each other. Now they literally overlap each other, and then the thing is over the top of it, and it just seems to work. 
but anyway, that's my follow-up on those. Uh, I don't know if they're worth the the hundred and twenty bucks or whatever they were. If they were half price, I would say buy them. With one hundred and twenty, maybe. All right, guys. So Asus has announced its latest gaming monitor. It's called the ROG Swift PG three two nine Q monitor. Uh, it launches with the Super Kill marketing line, and it features a 31.5-inch fast IPS panel with a refresh rate of up to 175 hertz and a resolution of 2560 by 1440. So uh, it's a pretty pretty high-definition, nice-looking monitor from Asus. It's a good size for uh, for a three-monitor system, and. Uh, it looks it looks like a pretty good deal. I haven't seen a price anywhere on it yet, though. No, but it's flat. It's a flat monitor. I mean, are people buying flat monitors still? I not not like they used to for sure. Uh, it seems like the curved monitors are, are coming coming into a point where these things are being less and less in the mat. Well, that new one with the real deep curve. I mean, man, that's the one to get. Yeah, and you you only really need one of those for that thing. Right. Well, if you're wanting to get any of the new Proto SimTech pedals, you better... Oh, wait. Nope. Too late. Sold out. (laughs) Chris Smith uh, posted, uh, didn't really expect one to go out that fast, but they're already gone. Batch 8. Bye-bye. That's what you have, isn't it, Mike? No, no. I have uh, main performance PC pedals. These are Proto SimTech. And I think he, if I recall, these are... $600 $600 and uh, he makes them out of his garage and he's like, like you said on batch eight and uh, Maybe it's Joe that got those I know somebody we know yeah I, I think them. it was Joe Owen now that I think about it yeah he bought these but uh, yeah I've heard all nothing but good things about these pedals now um, they're not hydraulic or anything like that but uh, yeah they sell like hotcakes next up uh a post from Douglas Ingram about, uh, you know what, I'm going to need a new shifter. And um, I guess our picture got cut off here. But the picture showed that his dog had chewed his shifter into oblivion and used it as a chew toy. And uh, he posted up a picture on the high-end sim uh, racing enthusiast uh, Facebook page. Uh, hey guys, I'm looking for a new shifter, and it was kind of funny to see the dog had chewed his to nothing. So, is it time for a new shifter or a new dog? Right. Wasn't there somebody who had a cat, you know, chew through his USB cords? Uh, I remember seeing on some of the iRacing videos on the um, on the Twitch clips that you know dogs are jumping in people's laps and licking their faces and stuff. So uh, Brett McBurney linked to a video uh, comparing the through-the-lens visuals of the top commercially available VR headsets, uh, comparing them to the new uh, HP Reverb G2 that's coming out. Um, So uh, there's a YouTube video called uh, MRTV, and uh, what the guy does is basically takes a video of what you see through the lens of these headsets. He did it in Project Cars, and uh, he, he, he tested the, uh, the Rift S, he tested the Valve Index, and he tested his new uh, prototype of the HP Reverb G2. 
and uh, compared the visuals. He made a special note as to like how far away you can see things like license plate numbers and stuff like that. And uh, he uh, he gave a quite a good review for the new HP Reverb that's coming out. That uh, really he thought the visuals were the best of all three as far as uh, what you can see, which makes sense because they it does have the highest um, the highest resolution of all three headsets. So uh, as long as the you know it's got good pictures, then yeah, you probably will see more detail with that new headset. Yeah, and um, you know what, that is the headset to buy. Uh, I saw uh, one person on the forums really kind of said it best. He said, "Look, if you want one of these this year, you need to pre-order it now because these things are going to go like hotcakes." Yeah, it's it's outperforming that valve index, which is you know if you get the um, the 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 light stands for it, which are the cameras for the outside tracking, you're spending eleven hundred dollars. This thing's under six, so and it's outperforming it in most most all the ways. So yeah, it's 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 the one to get, and it's the one I ordered, and I can't wait for it to come in. Yeah, one of our nice teammates, team. uh, David Flowers, was going to order the Rift S, and I'm like, no, you need no. to talk to Brian and get the G2. No, it's 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 a couple hundred dollars more than the Rift S, but it's more than that worth in the in the in the sim. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say whenever you start getting into the into the more high fidelity and the and the high um, the graphics and stuff like that resolution, especially on the roadside, because there's a lot of road courses on the, on the service where your your breaking point might be a, a a small like little breaking marker that's it's not like a huge like w- number one sign or anything like that, but it's it's some small and you need to pick those out pretty far away, especially when you're doing open wheel cars and you're going pretty pretty quick. And because uh, I tried probably not the rift s but i think it was even an older one before that and it was pretty difficult to drive so it's nice to see the resolution coming up yeah if you had the oculus it was the original cv1 yeah i believe that was what it was my buddy let me let me borrow it i'm happy with my ass i had the uh, original cv1 oculus and then when i got the the first i have the original hp hp reverb right now and it was night and day difference it really is a big difference well, the S is better than than the CV1 as well. Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly is. I was a little disappointed in Oculus that the Rift S wasn't a bigger upgrade from the CV1 than it was. True, uh, but it, it was, it, but it was enough, especially not having to deal with the sensor anymore. Uh, that that that, and I like the fact that I don't have to use their sound. I like having my own headphones instead of instead of the instead of the headset sound. Yeah, well, um, the the reverb, both the, this one and the older version of reverb, the the microphones just flip and click right off, so you can actually just uh, take them off easily. That's handy. He also had another video. I was searching uh, the MRTV guy, and he does um, some field of view testing for all those uh, all the major brands to give a true uh, true field of view uh, measurement for each of the, of the uh, systems. Um, the valve index was a little bit bigger than the reverb, and uh, they were both a little bit bigger than the rift. So, uh, you know, who knows what five degrees difference makes, but I'm sure it makes a little bit. When yeah, you're looking at, oh, I'm sorry, Scott. When you're looking at that video, though, I, when they do the comparison side by side, that Rift S looks like blurry almost compared to the G2 on the right. 
Yeah, it's it's a big jump in resolution, even from the Rift S. The Rift S was is is nice because they started going to the LED uh, monitors, which had the full RGB striping in them. So um, that helped a lot with uh, with some of the screen door effect that the older systems used. But uh, but uh, but now with the the LEDs uh, and higher resolution, the screen door effect's almost gone. Yeah, I don't I don't notice it even in the S at all when I'm when I've got it on there. Yeah, the old the old headsets used to use the OLED OLED panels, but they they didn't provide a full RGB stripe and that kind of emphasized how bad the screen door effect was on those. When you got them when you get that screen that close to your eye, you're seeing in between the pixels and that creates a screen door look like you're looking through a screen door. And uh but the, but the full full stripes on the new ones, they don't do that at all. All right, let's do one more, David. So we have some pedals by, is this actually Alien or, yeah, it is, Alien Zadrodi. Um, I don't know if that's a nickname or if that is actually an Italian name. Interesting. Uh, they're single pedals that you can put together on a plate if you like. You can buy them in, in whatever set you would like. They are load cell, but the brake also has a spring, so it's kind of similar to the Fanatec V3s. Um, and the clutch actually comes with you can get the clutch pedal or a clutch pedal with a clutch mod and i really haven't been able to figure out what makes what that difference is um but it's got to be better it's 65 euros more expensive um and they they look nice they definitely are load cell style paddle pedals and they're running close to the same price i think that the v3s will run because if you were to get a three pedal set and the base plate mount uh, um you're getting close to 600 euros at that point these remind me of the heiskenvelds a little bit uh the kind of look of them uh design of them uh and i would i would i would venture to say these might be like a heiskenveld replacement or but these are russian i think this guy is russian looking at the uh the type on the website yeah, that's right. It translates from Russian, but the the currencies in euros and mm -hmm. Zadrati, I've never heard of that as a Russian name, but yeah, it's 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 uh, right up there. It's definitely a Russian website. In we've fact, yeah, we've talked has, about these before in the past, so we're just rehashing. Okay. It has rubles in the corner, actually, on the pictures as well. So it has the euro price and the ruples price. Yeah, I'm seeing these these pedals more and more on some of the Facebook groups. Uh, some of the people are uh, are choosing these as their pedal set, so um, not a bad alternative. I bet you with that plate, you can really be you can really separate them if you like to have your clutch far away from your right pedal, or you, like we saw with a, or if you like to have them both really far over to the left so you can heel toe if you want. Yeah, there's a lot of cutouts on that plate, so you can really move them about. Yeah, they, they look very adjustable and uh, a lot of different options. Okay, so with that, uh, we're going to jump into results and talk a little racing. Uh, we had our off week, uh, but we're uh, back now in the NASCAR iRacing Series Michigan. Let's talk uh, last night, David. Uh, you had a bad race. Yeah, I wasn't fast to begin with and then uh, got a timely caution. And I'm always faster at the end of the race than I am at the beginning anyway. Uh, so I was kind of starting to make a little bit of a comeback. And then there was a big wreck. 
um, and just nowhere to go. I mean, it took out over half the field, including me. So, you know, uh, still got some work to do on adjusting the set to the latest tire model. Yep. Uh, Greg uh, had a good run going. He got wrecked out in a big wreck. I don't know where he finished, but he did leave early. Uh, myself, I got a P17. Um, I had a good run going. I was probably the only one on the team uh, running near the front for a while uh, during the race, uh, up through the race. I actually led the most laps, I think. But I was running uh, second or third, and the guy in third, we were going by a lap car, and the lap car was up on the wall coming out of four uh, down the front stretch. and. I was to the right of him, you know, and the guy b below me was below me and we were gonna go by this guy and the guy below me just came up into me and pushed me into the lap car and uh, just took us all out. And uh, well, I mean, what can you do? You give the guy room and he just wipes you out. But what a disappointment after, you know, I felt, I, I think I even told the team, man, I feel like I can win this, you know, because I was just fast. I, was, I don't know what, the set was tough it was so loose though, but loose was fast. Uh, Tom Dryling, he got a P8. He said, I don't know how I did that. I had a brain fart and destroyed the car about halfway through the race, worked back to the lead lap and kept out of late trouble. Steven uh, Lou Allen uh, got our best result, P3. Uh, he said his stuff stopped working and he couldn't talk back to us, uh, but he could hear us. And so he, uh, he had a problem with his microphone. Uh, and we were like, uh, you know, go get it. But he could, we couldn't talk back to us. Uh, Tony Rochette, uh, he got a P14. He got turned into a modified with 20 to go on a restart. He had a pretty good run up to there. <laughs> I like that, turned into a modified. Yep. Uh, and then Bobby Jonas uh, joined us for one of his rare starts. Uh, he got P34 out of 35 cars, lost 93 IR and 0.23 SR. He only made four laps and there was a huge wreck and he was in it. Tough night. Good run for Steven though. And then today we ran, uh, I ran a P13, uh, made some bad calls on when to take tires. I think it was lap 16. There was a caution and I decided to stay out and most everybody else pitted. And that screwed me because after that we had a green run and I had to pit under green and then the caution came out uh, as I was on pit road. And so I had to take a wave around and yeah, it was nonsense. But anyway, it ended up screwing my race. I, I probably would have ran a much better if I had taken tires at the right time. Uh, Tom Dryling, he ran with me in the same split. Uh, he finished right behind me, P14. He said, should have had better uh, finish. Late damage cost him a lot of spots. The Only the three extra sets makes for some interesting strategy. I like it. So he took a different uh, pit strategy than I did and, uh, and it paid off for him, but then he got wrecked at some point. And so he had to like fix damage. So he never got back up there. Uh, Tony Rochette ran. We don't have his result because he wrecked out fairly early and uh, I think he had over six minutes damage so he called it a day. I remember he posted in Messenger that he was letting somebody go and they just came up and put him in the wall. Yeah I saw that video it was it was not good. Okay let's talk other open or other official. Uh, I ran NASCAR Legends 
uh, at Michigan. Uh, first one, uh, wrecked out in a big wreck. Uh, second attempt, P6. Um, and it, it went green after, all the way after one quick caution that I uh, had missed it. And uh, I wrote, wow, my arms are sore because I'm up on the wheel. Man, this car is hard at Michigan. You really have to drive it through the corners, like literally. And uh, with my force feedback up, man, it just wore me out. But uh, I'm happy with that P6. I'm not going to beat that. I actually ran one more time and it went green the entire way. And guess what? With six to go, I blew a right front. Ended up P18, but I wasn't the only one. Uh, there were four or even five guys, I think, that blew right fronts because we went green the whole way, and right right near the end of the race. Yeah, I, I, I played around with the, the Legends cars uh, last week a, a bit, and it just tears up them right fronts. Well, you definitely have to pedal it a little bit is what I've learned, because if you don't, you're not going to make it to the end of the race if it stays green. Let's talk lead. David, you got a P15 in the dirt race. Yeah, it was pretty convenient to have those couple of weeks off. So I spent a lot of time with a little bit of time off. I had left practicing tons and tons trying to get, figure this car out. And at first I was really discouraged because it was not going well. I was struggling with a lot of overcorrecting. I finally just experimented with um, wheel settings because all the different setups, no matter what I did to the setup, it was the same problem. It was just overcorrect. And I discovered that cranking the resolution on the wheel all the way down to where, to where I just barely had to turn the wheel allowed me to catch the car a lot easier without overcorrecting. Um, as a result, I wasn't so unstable and was able to finish 15th in uh, the top split without causing any wrecks. And so I'll take that considering it was the first time I'd ever been on a dirt track ever. Well, you prepared a lot for that, um, like you said. and. If you hadn't prepared, it would have been much worse, I'm sure. So that's a good result. And you said that was the 410s, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard car to drive, man. It really is. You really takes a, a lot of throttle control to keep them things on the track. Yeah, I was I was doing really well when it was, you know, when it was tacky. But once that thing went full slick, um, it would just. Uh, coming off the corner, it would jerk real hard to the right if I had just and because I had the the steering ratio way low, like I do when when I drive a cup car, I would have to turn the wheel really far to catch it, and it would take too long to catch it, and it would just it was just not controllable. So when I when I basically drastically cut that steering ratio to a really fast number, um, that really helped there and made it easier to control it a lot. Yeah, but it's still a P15. That's pretty good. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's it's top split in the Americas that running with guys like Christian Chandler. So you when you race with the tough competition, 15 is different. All right. And with that, let's get into final thoughts. Uh, Brian McCubbin, what do you got? Well, uh, Sunday night, man, I just got hit by this terrible summer cold. It's it's not the Rona, but uh, man, it just knocked me knocked me on my butt for three or four days. I missed I missed two of my league races that I would have done on Monday and Wednesday, and uh, man, I just come home from work and I just crashed. I'm starting to finally get back to where I'm want where I'm feeling better. Um, I'm looking forward to picking up Michigan later this week. On Sunday, I'll, I'll do my uh, NIS race on Sunday, and then and then it's time to practice Daytona Road. 
yeah, I need to get out on Daytona Road and just try that chicane, see what happens. But all right, uh, David Hall, final thought. Uh, special thanks to the, the other Brian and Scott for coming on. And uh, just a reminder that our results section was sponsored by Yukora and the Throwback Indie Car Series. I didn't add that to the script until just now, but we've got it on there now. So we'll make sure and bring that up every week. Uh, they both have had to leave by now. But uh, I know I'm going to go ahead and at least sign up for that indie car race because uh, it won't require a, a whole lot of pressure and time. But it, it'll be fun. It'll be good to get to know those guys and be able to talk about the league instead of just take their report. So I'm looking forward to running that. Okay, very good. Uh, my final thoughts, uh, man, back, so good to be back in NIS uh, after the Olympic break. Uh, felt like kind of a joke since there wasn't any Olympics. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm happy to be back to it. And I felt like I was in a position to win Michigan there. I think I even won there earlier this spring, but uh, man, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night and see if I can, uh, you know, put a whooping on them. Uh, the set uh, we, we tried today was different than the set from last night. I'm almost tempted to go back to the one last night that was a little out of control, but hey, loose is fast, right? So with that, we'll see if we can get it. We'll see you on the track. Later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.